Welcome to the Midcast, presented by the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each month we will look at some of the key issues for mission in Scotland today. We'll bring you experienced voices, practical insights and unique stories, all focused on the mission of the church in Scotland. Welcome to the Midcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to download this podcast. My name is Glenn Innes and I'm going to be your host for the next 30 minutes or so. This interview today is with Ali Bolton. Ali is a Baptist minister in England. She is one of the key people at New Housing Hub and she has for the last 10 years been establishing a faith community on a new housing development and has a huge amount to teach us about how we go about interacting with and establishing faith communities on new housing developments. We've split the interview in two parts. We've got the what this one this week, which is really Ali's own story of how she established her faith community. And then the second part is some more general conversation around some of the principles that she's learned that we could perhaps all take something from. Before we get to today's interview, I'd love to just take a moment to let you know about a conference we have coming up on the 26th of November. We have a day on innovation in church and mission. It's for pastors, leaders, and practitioners who are interested in thinking about these questions of how we innovate in mission and in church for the sake of the kingdom of God. We will be at Easter House Baptist Church from 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. We are going to be facilitated by Rich Robinson. Uh, We also have Martin Hodson there with us for the day. We would love you to join us. Uh, the, you can find the information in the show notes, the link is there, or you can go to scottishbaptist.com and there's more information there. We would love you to join us that day. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Ali. Ali, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to come on our little podcast and chat with us. Uh, I wonder, most people won't be familiar with who you are, so I wonder if we could start with just saying, who is Ali? Right. Well, I'm an ordained Baptist minister. Uh, I used to be a teacher, secondary school teacher for 19 years, but now I'm a Baptist minister. Um, I'm a pioneer. I've been working in new housing areas for the last 10 years or so. Um, I've been a regional minister, but I've just left that. And now I'm working all around the country, encouraging people to engage in new housing areas. Wow. Lots of different stories there then, and it it sounds to me like we could spend quite a lot of time talking about just about any of them. But uh, today I think I'd I'd love us to spend our time, uh, first of all, exploring a little bit of your experience over the last 10 years, you said, in some new housing areas. And then uh, if we can have a chat after that about what you're doing now and how you're taking that learning and sharing it around the country. So um, you... You were ordained as a, uh, a a Baptist minister, as a pioneer minister. Am I right about that? Is that your... Well, we don't have separate categories okay. for pioneer ministers. So I was ordained as a Baptist minister, but with a, a pioneer calling. Okay. Yeah. And you moved into a new housing estate as that estate was being built. Is that right? Yes, that's right. We were the very first people to move here. I had quite a, a strong experience of God back 14 months before we moved in when I was wondering what the future was going to bring and where God was leading me. And um, I had a very powerful experience, actually, in a group prayer meeting with some other Baptist ministers where I felt God saying that I should move to this new estate uh, with my family. And um, we were the very first 
to move in 14 months later. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, that sense of calling, was it to that very specific uh, estate, that development, or was it yeah. just in general? Yeah, no, it was to this this estate. We were, I was in this meeting with some Baptist ministers and they asked if we'd pray for this estate and I hadn't heard of it because it hadn't been built yet. And then they said, oh, you know, it's that building down, you know, at the edge of the town. And um, I bent my head to pray and I just had this experience of God saying, that's where I want you and your family to go. And so I'll some time discerning that and sharing it and talking to people. Great. And the purpose of going there, was it to start a church or to be like a missionary or what was the what was the intention or what was the, the plan behind it? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because back in 2008, language was slightly different. So people very much called me a church planter and us the church planting group. There was during the time that we were discerning what to do, three other couples felt called to join us. So we became a little team with my me, my husband, three of our own teenagers and a, and a teenager who lived with us. And um, but actually, right from the beginning, I felt called to unconditionally bless the community. And I believe right from the beginning that a church would emerge. But I equally didn't feel we should go and proactively start a church gathering as our first thing. Just felt this huge sense that we were called to bless. And before we had anything else really to hang our vision on that phrase called to bless was sort of the very first thing that we started with so yes now I would very much think of myself really as a min as a as a missionary um in lots of ways more than a minister uh but I'm not sure I had some of this language then um so it's quite hard to have articulated except for before I moved there I knew that we were called to bless and that we weren't called to proactively start a church so if I, if we can stay in that early stage there just just for a moment before we move on um can you maybe describe a little bit about the the, the sort of size of the the estate that you're moving into to some of the demographics of that yeah so all in all the whole area when it's finished is going to be about five thousand or so houses and it's in three areas which is quite common um certainly in england i'm not as aware of the scottish scene but where there's often sort of urban villages and we're three urban villages um i moved in in the credit crunch time which changed everything so it was we put our, our deposit on our house in 2008 we moved in in 2009 and that was when the bottom just fell out of the housing market and so at the beginning we were one of the very few private residents who moved in because most people had lost their mortgages and not been able to move. Um, but there was also, as you know now, and that the housing crisis in Britain is growing and growing, and there was housing crisis then. So um, to, to begin with, it was all the social housing that filled up. We're a third social housing, and it's what's called um, category A and B social housing, which is priority housing. A third of the people who moved into that third were designated homeless. There was people in all sorts of situations, um, maybe hiding from domestic abuse or had additional needs or mental health issues. And so it was a very slightly fragile group of people who moved in, but a very enthusiastic group because they were moving in 
to this brand new area with these brand new houses. And so they were great. And we immediately made friends with them and had had a brilliant time. But that so that was that was the beginning. And then gradually the private housing filled up. We then hit a bit of a hiatus because of the credit crunch. And um, this first coming up to a thousand houses has been built. And there was a bit of a gap before the next area. And they've now built some of the next area in terms of the community facilities, which they've learned from this area. They're putting some of those in first. And the first houses will be occupied early next year. In the, and that's another two and a half thousand. And then the others will be done after that in the third urban village. So actually quite a substantial uh, community when it's finished, you know, it's yeah. quite large. Um, so you've you've been called on to, the, uh, to this estate. You've moved into one of the very first houses built there. You've, were you the very first one? Or the very first, yeah. The... We lived here for a month on our own. Oh, wow. Okay, you and a bunch of builders, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you, you were called on to that site. Uh, you were called to, uh, you had this sense that unconditionally blessing people was what yeah. you were there for. Uh, and then you've got this, um, uh, pardon the phrase, I can't come up with a better one, but this strange mix of people. You've got a third, people coming from homelessness situations of a great wide variety uh, and a whole lot of people who now actually aren't able to buy their houses because of the credit crunch. Yeah. But everybody recognising there's some sort of clean slate. This is a new place with new people. Absolutely. Um, how do you go about taking that idea of unconditionally blessing this community and doing something? What did that look like? Yeah. So it's really important for me that everything we, we do is embedded in the gospel um, even though I don't speak that out loud to the people I meet necessarily, although at times we do, yeah. but that's not the first thing we do. So this whole idea of God is a God of unconditional blessing, his first you know, relationship with Abraham was one of blessing and that Jesus is God's unconditional gift to us. So what might it look like to try and embody that for the na- my neighbours and new friends that I was making in the community? And I felt it had to be very concrete and practical. And so the first unconditional blessing was visiting everybody on the day they moved in, which worked really well with the social housing because we worked with the housing provider. So actually on the day they were there, I was there. We had a welcome basket. And it was very important that this gift was unconditional. It was not a marketing exercise or a data collection situation. It was an unconditional blessing. So I said to people, hi, I'm Ali. I'm your neighbour. I'm a Baptist minister, but I'm here for all faiths and none. What do we do together to make this a great place to live? And I didn't ask the people that I met anything at all. So I didn't ask them their names or their situation or anything. Now, some people told me their life story because they'd had this life-changing experience of moving into this new house. And I was a listening ear and that was great. Some people just introduced themselves and their kids and that was lovely and told me their name and exchanged their mobile number with me or something like that and some people just said thank you and but we didn't ask them for anything because it's not it wasn't a marketing exercise it was how do we mirror the unconditional love of God to this community and that has stayed as as a very deep principle in everything that we do and but that's how it that's how it was embodied at the beginning I mean I can give you more examples of how it went on to be embodied but yeah yeah (laughs) So how do you, how do you progress from there then uh, with this sense of blessing people with no strings attached uh, and and I guess to use Christian language just loving people just yeah. as they are 
uh, to having uh, a faith community on on the site how how did you, what does that transition look like yeah so some of the kind of principles that emerged were things like living incarnationally obviously we lived on the site which is really important but also the attitude of being incarnational so we were living with not doing too yeah i think bad these guys we also felt the principle of being friends was really important. So Jesus said, I call you friend. I no longer call you servants because the servants didn't know what a master is doing. So we made friends. It sounds really obvious. It's not rocket science. We made friends with people. And we also felt that God had said he would tell us what to do through the community. So we did lots of listening. Um, and as we listened and we served, uh, people just got in touch. We also... I mean, it's really interesting because we talk about the faith community um, emerging. But one of the early things that we felt God had said to us was, don't talk about me. So I didn't start by talking about God, although I, everybody knew I was a Baptist minister. So I was very clear about that. But actually, more people came and talked to me about faith than in the rest of my life, even though I've always been quite demonstrative about talking about my faith. So people wanted to know. Why was a minister living here? What was that about? And so lots of people wanted to talk about faith. They also very much felt that because we were friends, people really, even right in the early days, got in touch. One of the very first people who got in touch with me was sadly about to commit suicide. And she'd met me and said, you know, I know, I know she called me a vicar. So I know you're a vicar and I think there might be a God and can you help me? And so we journeyed with her. Um, and just people... As we began to journey with these guys and do things, people wanted to come to my house and have coffee. They wanted to meet other young mums. There were loads of young young families here. And then people began to ask us to do all sorts of things. And the very first thing, big thing that they asked us to do, which was very controversial, they asked us to come to, we, well, we did a community day at the beginning because the Housing Association asked us to. And then People came to my door and said, we love that. Will you do us a Halloween party next? <laughs> and I very much come from a tradition where Halloween parties are a no-no. Halloween is a no-no. Um, yeah. And to cut a long story short, you know, through much prayer with our initial call group, we felt that God had said, you know, you are here for all faiths and none. You're here for this community. And he gave us the words from Acts 9, you know, what I read, they, where the picnic blanket of the food was laid out and Peter was challenged about his preconception about what was okay we felt God gave us that and and you know what I've called clean don't call unclean and this wasn't we had nowhere to this was all outdoors we had nowhere to invite people into people were inviting us out into their community to do this party and we did it in all sorts of what we feel were wholesome ways um and at that party somebody said I know what I'd love you to do Ali I was a bit fearful and they said wouldn't it be great if you did an activity play and all the kids could dress up and so that was the first kind of big Christian thing we were asked to do and because we felt very convicted that God would tell us what to do through the community which is partly why we did the Halloween party um, we did that again it was all outdoors we had no buildings we did the journey to Bethlehem I used to be a drama teacher. Okay. <laughs> we practiced it on the Saturday as a community theatre and we did it on the Sunday. And then from that, other things emerged and we ended up doing something at the Easter because people said to me, oh, is Easter a God thing? They didn't know it was a God <laughs> thing. I love that, yeah. 
yeah and so I said well it really is would, would you like us to do something about that and so we did something on Good Friday about the Easter story and and you know it's hardly any people lived here but you know 50 or so people turned out into this porter cabin and then I invited anyone who wanted to just to come to my house on Easter day I said some of us are celebrating the resurrection and it won't be like this it'll be at my house and we'll be reading the bible and we'll be saying some prayers but you're welcome and 35 unchurched people rocked up at my house on Easter day <laughs> and we were really pleased and we sort of started to take control in our own head and thinking oh maybe we'll do this again at Pentecost hmm. but of course God had said he'd tell us what to do through the community <laughs> so 10 days later someone asked if they could come to our church every week and we didn't have a gathering at all at that point okay. we had been church in the community but we didn't have a gathering and so she filled in the gaps and said, is it at your house on Sunday morning? And so I nodded and um, I texted all the core group and said, we're starting a church gathering at our house on Sunday. And that was the, the emergence of our church gathering. And the woman who asked me has never been. She's still on a faith journey, but she never came. Wow. But two, two, uh, that was on the Wednesday and two other families came on that Sunday. And the first one came to faith about two weeks later. And that was um, nine and a half years ago. And our church gathering is still going. Uh, but everything we do is church. So I don't want to say that was the start of church. Church started the day we moved into the estate where we became the body of Christ in that place. It sounds to me like the one of the key lessons we must learn from your story is that listening to God is yeah. the most missionally effective strategy yeah. we could ever have. Absolutely. I mean, it's been a huge discipleship journey for me, Glenn. This has been, people think that I'm involved in really understanding about mission. But what I've really been doing is learning to be a disciple of Jesus. So what does that mean to be a disciple of Jesus, to lay down our selfish ways, take up our cross and follow? That's, it, it means we have to lay down all of our good ideas. And I've got loads of good ideas. I'm sure everyone listening, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we're not short of good ideas. We've yeah. all got great ideas about what we can do to people. But it's about what, you know, laying that down, laying down my agenda for what church might look like, laying down the agenda for what I want from church that will serve my needs and beginning to say, OK, what is God doing here that he's calling me to join in with? And what is God doing within these people this lovely community that you've put me in, what is God doing here that I might humbly be part of? And there are times when, obviously, my personality comes back and I go, no, I want to do this. And yeah. God has to keep saying, no, hang on. I thought this was my plan and my way, and I have to relearn, you know. And so for all of us, it, it, it is such a lot about the discipleship journey, yeah. really, that I'm on, as much as learning about what does it mean to join in with the mission of God? Uh, so it's uh, you mentioned there that based soon after you started the gathering of the church, yeah. that uh, somebody had given their life to Jesus. Has that been a <laughs> has that been an ongoing kind of, kind of thing? Like, I, I mean, I guess I, I don't like the language, but I don't have anything better. You know, has has your mission in that community been effective for getting people? new people to come and follow Jesus it will have been effective in lots of other ways but has it been effective in that way yeah I mean I always say to people I would love to say the first person came to faith three weeks in and then or two weeks in whatever it was 
and then 3,000 were added to their number daily. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. The truth is, of course, it's much more complicated than that. It's the parable of the sower, isn't it? So we've seen people who we thought were going to come to faith then go to me, actually, Ali, I don't I don't think I believe this. And we've seen surprising people come to faith. We've seen we've some people I'm still journeying with them. And I don't think they've come to faith yet. But I've still people I met 10 years ago who are just going deeper gradually day by day. Some people have come to faith and moved away. And that's when we have to say, this is about you, Lord, you know, because we're quite a transient community. And so, you know, we had someone come to faith and they moved away two weeks later, which is so sad. We sort of were praying for her to really know God's Holy Spirit in her life, just, you know, just after becoming a Christian and she went. But praise God, there have been people who've come to faith, been baptised and are, are moving forward in their faith. In fact, we've got a baptism this Sunday in our back garden, in our really? paddling pool. Uh, we've got a big pool for just for that purpose. Nice. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're mainly engaging with people completely beyond the church. Okay. So the journeys are on the whole not quick. And that first person who came to faith, I had been journeying with her a lot during the previous year. Okay. And it all kind of came together as the church started. But yeah, praise God, people have come to faith yeah, and, and being baptised and are followers of Jesus. In terms of your... Uh your ongoing ministry uh, in that community, uh, it sounds like uh, this is largely, to use the vernacular, it's a post-Christian culture that you're in. These are not yeah. people with church backgrounds particularly no. coming across. So no. there's no just sweeping up the nice local Christians into your community and saying, look what we've grown. You've actually done the hard yards with people with no faith background or with different faith backgrounds and, and journeyed through that. Uh, so I guess, uh, do you have any particular thoughts on uh, how how you have made that work like in terms of engaging particularly with people from a, a post-Christian context? Well, I think there's something about just being here, just living, being authentic, one of our DNA values is being authentic, not perfect. I mean, I pretty much have an open house. People come, see us as we are. Um, I used to have teenage kids living in the house, all of whom were lovely, but just normal teenage kids. My house doesn't look like a show home. I have days when I feel stressed or anxious or unhappy, the same as everybody else does. And I have days when I feel, you know, like life is wonderful. And I think there's something about being with people as I am. This is us in the rule. I don't, they don't get to see me with my Sunday best on, with my Sunday face on. You know, they turn up at my door when I've got my dressing gown on and they, you know, they turn up when I'm feeling tired and grumpy and they, they, and yet, you know, God is in it all isn't he and I I proclaim that 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 God is is in it all and again one of our DNAs is God in the light God in the dark you know God is Mm. in the brokenness as much as he's in you know the perfection and so you know I've had lots of sadly lots of deaths since I've been here so Mm. uh, my childhood friend died of a brain tumor early days and I've lost both my parents and my my auntie who didn't have any children so was like sort of a third parent to her dealt with all of their wills and selling their houses and things like that oh. since they've been here 
my brother-in-law has died since I've been here. Um, and, you know, I think there is something about being real, hmm. you know, which is sometimes we don't get, we want to be at that stage in our more established churches. I'm sure all of us, you know, I'm sure your listeners are Christians with integrity and with authenticity, but we're not always able to be those people in the short amount of time that we have together. Hmm. Um, whereas I think by living in, intentionally in this place, and, you know, you have to be open-minded. I mean, I was a teacher for 19 years in secondary school in challenging, you know, yeah. in challenging schools. I mean, I, I, I you know, I've, I've got to be fairly open-minded yeah. about, about things I mean I've heard people swear in prayers because that's the that's the word that's the adjective they use yeah. when something is great yeah. um you, you know you've got to be open to the realities of what life is like and quite non-judgmental it in the early days I kept thinking oh I want to just help these people live more holy lives and by doing that, I wanted to kind of speak into ethical things. And actually, God really spoke to me about that. Hmm. But he is the spirit that will change these guys. And so I've seen people come off drugs and alcohol and, you know, do that. But not because I've told them they've had to, but because God has been in that. And we still journey with people with, with addictions or who are just doing silly things that are not what God would want hmm. for them. But actually we're we're yeah we're not about judging these people Hmm. we're about being friends and recognizing that we're all at different stages and actually I happen to have been brought up in a Christian family with lots of love and so I, I bring different values and who am I to say you know to judge people who haven't had that so I I think there is something about a real openness to taking people as they are. Yeah. And I, I I have a friend of mine who's got this great line. He talks about how discipleship is about teaching people how to follow Jesus, not about becoming middle class. Yeah. And I, I tell you, that, that's a real challenge sometimes uh, yeah. to us. So brilliant. Uh, that, that's great. A couple of really practical questions uh, around yeah. when you started there that might help us move into uh, some conversation about what you're doing just now. But um, you talked about how you'd worked with the housing association. I think you said when you yeah. when you moved into the area, and that they were quite open uh, to you meeting all their new uh, the new tenants. How did that come about? Did you approach them? Were they open to that? Again, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it, it was what God did again, really, which is you know. So I used to meet with an ecumenical group where we were praying for this new housing area, and we were they'd already started praying before I was even called, but none of them felt called to actually lead the work here. And um, we were making some connections with the council. And then the housing association heard, I don't, I can't really remember even how they heard about me, but they heard that this woman was going to move in with her family to serve the community. And they kind of sought me out. They came along to one of our ecumenical prayer meetings. (laughs) It was interesting because, um, the guy from the housing association is a very committed pagan. Oh. <laughs> um, 
not into Christianity at all, yeah. but a real man of peace. Mm. And he ended up just meeting with me and saying, what are you going to do? And I said, well, we're going to bless the community and serve it. And we're going to listen and see what happens. And he said, that sounds great. If I give you £5,000, would that help with it? <laughs> Given that we didn't really have, we had no operations budget at yeah, all. Yeah. Um, so, so, yes, we were proactive in that we were praying. We were engaging with the council. Um, I was talking to the sales office and chatting to the to the builders down here as much as I could uh, when we came down to, to see our house being built and that kind of thing. And through all that, the housing association got hold of me. And then they were amazing. They just said, Ali has to sit on every meeting, every every discussion group at the council, all of that. And um, I felt a bit awkward at the beginning, like, who am I as a Baptist minister to do this? But the Housing Association were, no, we want Ali here. She's going to be living there. We want her in every meeting. Um, so it was a God, you know, it's a God thing. It's hard to kind of, there's not, I don't think there's a formula, is there? I think there's a, let's pray and be open, see what comes along and respond to it thoughtfully and prayerfully. Yeah. Great. And how about the, uh, I guess, the more, the, the private house builders that were going on there, were they were they equally as receptive to you or just that, that wasn't what God led you to there? So, yeah, can I just do one last thing about the housing oh, association? Of course, yeah. I would say, however, about the housing association, I always say to people, do get in touch with them, you know, so just because they came to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still think, you know, phone <laughs> yeah, them up, yeah, say yeah. what can we do to help, it's, yeah. you know. So, yes. Don't so posture matters there too, right? I mean, that's yes. important. Not, yeah. You're not calling them up to say, uh, we've got these great services we can offer you. It's, no. uh, it's hi, we're here, how can we help kind of thing. Yes. Absolutely. Um, in terms of the developers, it, there's a very different attitude between developers and the council and the housing association, because developers are about selling their houses and moving on. So in the beginning, yeah, we did have, you know, we had a good relationship. I made really good friends with the with the um, site manager and he was great. So people would say to me, oh, Ali, do you know that there's something's fallen over there, there's a hole in the pavement there. And I'd just send him a quick text and he'd go, oh yeah, we'll get onto that. So he was, having that relationship was good in terms of blessing the community. I would say definitely talk to developers. Um, We put welcome packs, welcome information in their sales offices and they were open to that. Just bear in mind that they're not going to have a long-term relationship with this community. And so, yes, if you can serve their desire to sell houses, <laughs> then they'll yep. engage with you. Yeah. So we just have to be wise, don't we? Yep. But they're not, they're, they, you know, they're, they're going to leave. Yeah, they don't care what the community's like when they're gone. Exactly. They just want to get gone. Yes. Okay. Whereas the Housing Association and the council want to build a sustainable community for the with as little antisocial behaviour as possible, yeah. with a happy, healthy, contented community. Yeah. And they're very happy to give you as much of that to do as you're willing to do. <laughs> Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope that conversation with Ali has been helpful for you. I know I really enjoyed it. The second part of this conversation will come out next week. 
So make sure you don't miss it. Subscribe to us on whatever your preferred podcasting platform is. And if you're on iTunes or Stitcher, if you could take just a second just to give us a little uh, review and uh, click uh, a rating, that would be super helpful to us just in letting us know how people are finding the podcast, but also it helps other people find the podcast on the platform as well. I'm not quite sure how all that stuff works, but I am assured that those things are really helpful to us. Again, thanks for listening. A reminder of the conference on the 26th of November, information in the show notes. And we will be back next week with another podcast, the second part of this one with Ali. We look forward to speaking with you then. This has been the Midcast. I am Glenn Innes. We are out. You've been listening to the Midcast, a presentation of the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland.